We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work, the Yalukut Wheelam clan of the Bunwarung Nam. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, as we try to live up to their example as storytellers. I know firsthand that you can't just directly translate words. I, I mean, you can, but chances are they won't translate well if your language is just slightly colorful. Your audience just won't get the message. Idioms, they don't translate easily, for example. In English, when we want to focus and do the work, we buckle down and roll up our sleeves. But in Danish, I might say, Now guys, we really need to squeeze our butt cheeks together and finish this task. This one always gets me in trouble with HR. Runa, I've already told you, there will be no squeezing of butt cheeks in the workplace. Okay, cute misunderstanding or potentially terrible lawsuit aside. What about the more difficult topics in society like mental health? It's easy to get our wires crossed when speaking idiomatically, so to speak. I've been thinking about the way we talk about mental health in society. Why is it so hard to talk about? And do we talk about it differently across cultures? What roles do language and idioms play? I needed some expert advice, so I talked to Dr. Grant Blaschke from Beyond Blue, an Australian organization providing support on well-being and mental health. Why do you think it's so hard to talk about? I think that the mental health conditions, they really do impact on our sense of identity, our social roles, who we are, how we feel about ourselves. And so as much as we have you know, great campaigns to get people talking about mental health and famous people talking about it, it is more complicated than just saying, hey, I broke my leg or I've got the flu. It's much more loaded because there is this idea that it's impacting on your capacity in your social roles, in your family or in your work or in relationships, and certainly also in your cultural background. And so whereas a lot of medical conditions are pretty much the same concept throughout the world, you know, a asthma is pretty much asthma wherever else you go, whereas take a concept like depression and compare around the world, it's going to be very loaded with cultural ideas about what depression is and how it affects people and, and, and how best to help them. Very interesting. Could you expand on some of those different perceptions of, of mental health or, for example, depression that, that you have experience with? So to give you an example, and it's very relevant in Australia where we really have a multicultural community from so many different backgrounds, the very explanatory models about what, let's say, depression is, differ vastly across cultures. So you, you can have that very Western, what we call medical model idea of, you know, something in your brain not working right. And that's, you know, quite a common conception in Western cultures about what a mental health issue is. But it's not the only way of looking at it. A lot of different cultural backgrounds will look at it as something that occurs more in your relationship. So it's much less sort of defined as just with inside your head and much more a relational idea. And if we go further, if we look at our First Nations people and their idea of well-being and mental wellness, it's deeply connected to ideas of land and the land being healthy and having access to your land and all sorts of deeper concepts. So I think mental health, mental well-being 
are deeply connected to cultural ideas and they form our explanatory models of what mental wellness actually is. And as a doctor working in this field, what are some of the things that, from a Western perspective, you know, from your own perspective, that made you raise an eyebrow um, with something to be learned here? I really appreciate your question and, and at the same time demonstrating the use of an idiom, raising an eyebrow. Actually, it makes me want to make a point here about the risk of idioms and metaphors and understanding mental health using these sort of devices is there's a lot of potential for confusion. So I understood what you meant when you said raise an eyebrow, but I can imagine people from different cultures would perhaps be wondering, why is he talking about my eyebrows? Does he not like my eyebrows? You know, so they make the point there about potential for miscommunication. But to take your question, as soon as I worked as a GP, I was quickly aware that about a third of the consultations are pretty psychologically based. One thing I always emphasise to people from other cultural backgrounds is that the GP is quite central in Australia to our mental health workforce, because very often in many other countries, the GP is not someone you would consider talking to about a mental health issue. I find this with a lot of the international students that I help at the university, and they would never consider the family doctor as someone that they would begin with. So certainly when I started in general practice in Australia, it became clear to me that this was a really important part of my work. It was a little bit in my blood, to use another idiom. <laughs> my father did one of the first studies of GP management of depression in the world using some antidepressants. And I actually took him with me on a teaching trip that I did in China. And I was spending quite a lot of time going back and forward to China, speaking to Chinese GPs about how are they managing patients with mental health issues. And the patients were not very comfortable for the doctor to say, oh, I think you've got depression or I think you've got anxiety. They might actually take offence even. And so we got into some good conversations about how to approach people in a way that they don't feel stigmatises them or embarrasses them. And I think for people listening from many different cultures, they'll relate to that very upfront sort of headline approach to mental health that we've developed in Australia is a bit too in your face for a lot of people coming from other cultures where it might be a more subtle and nuanced conversation. What could that subtle conversation sound like? People from different cultural backgrounds have different ways of expressing mental health issues, and it doesn't really correlate very well with our main psychiatric textbook called the DSM-5. There's lots of ways people present. So the first thing is to say is that many people from different cultural backgrounds are more comfortable coming with physical symptoms. So they come to the GP and they'll say, I'm tired, I can't sleep, or I've got aches, headaches, menstrual problems, backaches. And we call this in medicine somatization. And actually some of the psychiatric textbooks call it an idiom of distress. So when I was thinking about your podcast show, I thought, oh, that's interesting. But It is expressing distress rather than through the overt, classic mental health sort of language, you know, through bodily expression of your distress. And that's very common, not just in people from different cultural backgrounds, but very much in the Australian culture as well. Well, since we are on the idiom, 
I am very curious to hear your thoughts on idioms relating to mental health or yeah, health in general. Thinking about the way that we use idioms, metaphors in mental health really had me reflect on why do we have so many? And I think that health topics that are sensitive or confronting or embarrassing, we like to have sort of euphemisms and metaphors because they feel safer and they feel more distant. And as I reflect on many of the metaphors that we use in mental health, they do relate to those everyday activities that we participate in. So I'll give you an example. There's lots of metaphors around the journey. So when you think about how we talk about mental health with people, often we say, oh, you're stuck in a rut. We're getting back on the road. We're a bit off the tracks at the moment. We're getting back on the journey. So we use a lot of that. Sometimes bike metaphors, particularly, you know, riding against the wind, riding up a hill. So that's one sort of area that I'm quite interested in, that we talk very much about journeys, but it's not the only one. I think the weather is another theme that comes up and we use a lot of weather metaphorical language or under the weather, stormy times, you know, not much sunshine at the moment. So we use it a lot to actually describe mental illnesses, but we also use those metaphors very much when talking about recovery. And I find that they can be very helpful. A couple that I like are particularly gardening sort of metaphors. And I spend a bit of time talking with my patients about the difference between mechanical and organic time. What I mean by that is we live in a very digital world where everything happens ridiculously quickly. You hit a button and the Uber turns up and you hit another button and the local supermarket delivers everything. But we've got quite out of touch with the he, the slow rhythms of healing, You know, particularly those of us who have nothing to do with farming or food production or gardening. So often I'm saying to people when we talk about getting them better, listen, we're halfway through the year now. This is something we're going to work on till the end of the year. It's going to take time and we're going, you know, think more a new plant growing rather than getting your broken screen fixed on your iPhone. It's going to take a bit of time. So that I think is a another useful metaphor that I really like. One more that I think is very good are steps. And I think what we see with recovery, with a lot of mental health conditions, is two steps forward, one step back. Very useful for people, this idea that you're sort of going up steps, but it's going to take a while. Also talking about setbacks. So, you know, you're not right at the bottom of the stairwell, but you've gone down a couple of steps. And also the really important one, when people are in a complete crisis, one step at a time, just, just get on to the next step. And that's all you've got to do for today. So I think that words are very powerful and those metaphors can be very helpful to describe diagnoses, but they can also help people have an imagery in their mind when they're getting better and manage their expectations about getting better. So I'm very thoughtful and cautious about what language I use. Just to caveat, for people from different cultural backgrounds, there's a risk that all of us, and particularly me as a clinician, is that you may be using idioms thinking that you're creating trust, that, you know, sort of a sense that we're part of the same group, but it's very easy to confuse people. And they may not know what you're talking about with those idioms, or they might not relate to them, or they might have some unintended negative connotations that you hadn't thought of. 
I have this understanding that that men have a different and maybe a more difficult time expressing their mental well-being. Is that the case? And why do you think that is? When we look across the way in which men experience mental health issues, we've seen quite a lot of change over time. I mean, I want to say up front, even though it's sort of a heavy topic for your podcast, that we've got a really sad statistic in Australia with some 3,000 people a year taking their lives. So that ends up being about nine a day, of which seven are men. So this really drives us at Beyond Blue and a lot of the other mental health organisations around Australia and around the world, you know, that that's just so sad. And it's, you know, the most common cause of a young man dying between, you know, 15 and 44. I think it's the highest, most common cause. So we've got to do better on that. And we have to keep opening up the conversation with men in particular and women, of course, as well. But since your question's about men, a couple of things. We know men are less likely to go and get professional help. And I think, you know, one of the messages for people from different cultural backgrounds is they might feel uncomfortable, might be unusual in their culture to put up your hand, but they should know in Australia that there's lots of help, great help out there for men who are having a hard time. The classic I see in my practice would be men who've gone through relationship breakups. And for a lot of men out there, their social world sort of happens, they're a little bit of a passenger and their partner's the one who does a lot of the social organising. And if that blows up, they can be really quite isolating. And if you throw in the mix a bit of drinking as well, it can really be quite a risky time. So we're really encouraging those guys in particular to put up their hands and and get help that you can always ring Beyond Blue anytime. And I'm sure you'll have your number at the end of the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. There's excellent mental health counsellors there. But don't feel like you've got to manage it all yourself. You know, if you've got some red flags in your life, you're not sleeping, you're getting into arguments, you're withdrawing, you stopped answering your phone, drinking too much alcohol, maybe getting violent, you know, maybe you've lost your license because you've been driving and drinking. All these sort of red flags, you know, or particularly your friends saying you don't seem right, like listen to that, get the help early. Happily, I think ideas of masculinity are changing. I notice even, you know, having a couple of sons who are a quarter of a century younger than me, and you can see quite a difference in the way that the young men are talking about mental health issues in Australia, and that's a really good thing. So there's great help out there. We really encourage the men who are listening to reach out, get support early, and uh, make sure that they're looking after themselves. Well, I can say from my own life that it's very, very hard making the phone call. It's very easy to ignore. And I might just mention at this point in your theme of idioms that there are a lot of metaphors and concepts that I think work really well with my male patients. So particularly your more sort of blokey patients, the car metaphor. So, you know, oh, the emergency light's on, we need to do a 10,000 service, we need a bit of a pit stop. We can use all that sort of car language. And also, I think for a lot of men, given the primacy of football as occupying a huge proportion of their mental real estate at any time, that, uh, you know, football metaphors are good too, you know, getting back on the field or on the bench for a couple of months or I think those ideas are useful both for understanding mental health and actually also for recovery. 
In football, there's this idea called the one percenter. So often football coaches will say, I want you to chase those extra little, you know, free balls just a little bit harder, just one percent better. And I know at Beyond Blue, we used that idea in one of our communication campaigns, the one percenters, to say, just try and get up and just go to work today or just do a little bit more exercise or just drink a little bit less or, you know, making a little bit of effort every day. So um, I think that the metaphors can be really useful. If I am sitting at home and I don't feel good and I do want to contact someone, could you help provide the words for how I can communicate, maybe through metaphors, maybe through idioms, when I actually do get the courage to call? Who do I call? An easy start is to ring Beyond Blue. One three hundred double two four six three six all around Australia. Speak to a counsellor, and they're not judgmental. They're lovely people. They're mental health trained, and you shouldn't feel like you're being judged in any way for calling. So that's a really good way to start. For some people who feel a bit nervous about ringing, be aware that Beyond Blue's got this amazing online forum that's anonymous. The next sort of level is don't forget in Australia, general practitioners can undertake what's called a GP mental health treatment plan. So basically you book this with your GP, any GP in Australia can do it. Usually it's about half an hour or so. So book a double appointment and they'll go through and just do an assessment of your mental health. And if need be, they can refer you to psychologists, which is subsidized by Medicare once you've done one of these mental health plans. So it's another option. What role does language play in mental health? Mental health, unlike physical health conditions, is intimately bound up with language. The things we tell ourselves, the conversation we have with our clinicians about our diagnosis or what the treatments are. And so immediately cultural understandings become Not a background issue, but really front and center with the whole discussion around mental health. So words matter. Words can help. Words can heal. Words can cause misunderstandings. But in the midst of all this, the rich metaphors and the idioms that we use can be beautiful and part of the healing process. And I think find some that you really relate to and they can become a way of thinking about things as you recover. Good morning. How can I assist you today? Hey, uh, I would like to schedule an appointment. I I don't know. I feel like I feel like my engine is about to blow. Of course. I understand. We can help with that. I see a therapist sometimes. It's kind of expensive, so I just deprioritize it even though I know I shouldn't. Making the phone call to get the appointment can drag on for weeks. It kind of gives me anxiety, so the whole thing feels counterintuitive. What got me over the finish line was actually watching the TV series The Sopranos. For some reason, watching Tony Soprano, a New Jersey mobster struggling with anxiety because of family dynamics, and maybe a little bit of murdering, just hit home. Someone spoke to me in a language and context that resonated with me. It didn't feel like a chore. And I think that's the key for meaningful conversations on something as important as mental health. Providing content and different spaces that capture people where they are. Sometimes direct speech is the best approach. And other times we just gotta read more between the lines and tread a little bit more carefully. 
Now, if this episode has raised issues for you or you would like to seek mental health support, you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300224636 or visit beyondblue.org.au. Also, Embrace Multicultural Mental Health supports people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. For 24-7 crisis support, call Lifeline on 131114 or in an emergency, call 000. The Idiom is a production of ThinkHQ Cultureverse and SBS. It's hosted by me, Rune Pedersen, produced by Jacob Ages, Bore Chan, Jake M. and Stefan Delatovic, and written by me and Stefan Delatovic. The SBS team is Caroline Gates, Joel Supple, and Max Gosford. Our artwork is by Wendy Tang. Follow and review us wherever you found this podcast and tell us your favorite idiom at theidiom at sbs.com.au.